It's Thursday, March 16th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. FedScoop hosted its annual IT Mod Talks yesterday at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. Today's episode will feature highlights from the event. Ron Thompson spent over 20 years in federal government IT roles, most recently serving as Chief Data Officer and Deputy Digital Transformation Officer at NASA. In this highlight from IT Mod Talks, Thompson tells Veritas's Ted Goomer about his journey through government. Uh, I went back and, you know, my story, I went back uh, after a 37-year career, looked back at my time in the federal space and the private sector space and really had a decision to make where to go. And, and I was really looking at where to be valued. So early, Ted, in my career, I started the Census Bureau. And if you remember Dem- Dr. Deming, he started his, his uh, career about quality at the Census Bureau. And you look at what, he's, what he really is, um, is studying at the time is, is finding predictable uniformity and dependable at a lower cost. And, and I would argue that's a lot about security, right? That's a lot about how security is um, now thought of. I think it's matured over the last 20-something 20, 20 years, 25 years. Um, and, and how that data pipeline is secured. And I know Veritas has solutions to secure the data pipeline, but I'll, I'll just mention about you know, an engineering mindset about looking at data as it traverses from the application layer, the end user, all the way through uh, the ecosystem to the consumer. And there are a lot of vulnerable points of that data as it traverses from um, the, the provider to the consumer. A lot of points are vulnerable. However, uh, if we don't look at that holistically and look at that uh, from an interface uh, logical interface point of view and determine where are those uh, vulnerabilities do exist. Uh, I think we are, you know, we're really setting ourselves up for failure and looking at something later in the pipeline. So, so Ted, I don't, you know, I'm not an expert in Veritas products and, and solutions, but are there anything that in the Veritas stable that could really lower that vulnerability lower the uh, the sort of the total cost with Dr. Deming is teaching us total cost of ownership. You, you might have noticed we better practice this to get ready. Um, but there are two key points, I would say. First thing is immutability. You've got to have a copy of your data that no one can change no matter what. We specialize in that, and that's really important. Second thing, and this is about as geeky as it gets, and if anyone yells bingo, I'm shocked it's on your card, we have a compliance clock that you cannot adjust. Take a look at everything you do. If you can change the clock back, everything you have, hackers can get in there and adjust everything you got. We, it's, we have a special compliance clock in our software. I'm telling you, it's the biggest thing. It's the most boring in the world, but it is very, very important. So there's another thing that's kind of important though, setting and I think of it, especially we have a lot of people here in DOD, um, Homeland Security and all. I hope everyone's heard the word STIG, which is not just now it's getting outside of the space. The key about that to me is default. When I turn and, and log in that system as a user, I have no choice but to start adhering to it because it's by default. What's your take on the concept of having something by default? Yeah, so Ted, I think it's, it's uh, you know, there are a lot of technical processes and, and procedures we can do, and, and STIG is, is definitely 
um, beneficial to look at what we need to do, creates a, a, a checklist of, of what we need to do. Um, but, but I would argue um, the mindset really has to change and building it in not as an afterthought, building it in the core. We, we continually hear that. However, it seems, you know, when we do um, large programs and, and do our budgets, you know, our budget uh, build up to what that is, that's not always top of mind. Um, so, you know, the outcome is important, the output is not important, but looking at things uh, differently in a different way, I think zero trust is, is an absolutely way of, of ensuring data as it moves, again, through the system, through, you know, through, through the environment, that you look at each touch point and make sure it's secure. So, you know, zero trust, STIGs, all these are really good mechanisms to use, but I think we have to show up differently. We have to really think about this and, and have partnership, you know, with our, uh, with our security colleagues as well. Um, and make sure that, um, you know, it does take time to do these things and make sure that's well understood. Uh, to, to the consumer of, of the product, and then absolutely, uh, you know, invest in it. It is important. I agree, and with just a couple minutes left, I think people here want to understand how can they reduce the attack vectors, just kind of a generic, you know, worry about being attacked. I would hope, is everybody here? No one, you know, or is that important? Good. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I hope so. Um, any, any comments or advice given your over 40 years, even though you're only 30 years old? Yeah, well, but 40 years. Time has a way of sneaking by on us, Ted. So, um, you know, obviously you do, I, I think data is at the core. You know, being, you know, I retired from NASA as the chief data officer, been a CIO at a lot of different, different agencies. Um, looking at data and its uh, uh, entity element, uh, and making sure you have security of that entity element. You can't, you can't simply secure a system. You have to work at that data level. So, so I think working at that entity level, make sure you have things classified the right way, make sure you have it, it protected the right way. Um, I think you know, those security defaults should be built in at the data level. Uh, not at the system level, not at the network level, not at the interface level, but at the, at the core data level. I think if we look at it that way, we can then build systems that may not, you know, if we do it at the data level, may not be as, as highly secured as they need to if, if we do it at the, at the entity level. So That's so. great. And obviously, we appreciate that because Veritas protects the data at that point. So we are clearly in sync with that. Um, I think another thing about keeping an eye on your permissions and, and interactions and all, you want to be able to have people have access to your data but need to have those immutable copies, that system of record, so that when something goes awry, you can quickly restore that. Uh, and I'll put in the shameless plug for Veritas, since I think we're allowed to do that, having a you know, seat up here on the stage. Um, we do this better than anyone at the enterprise level. And if any of your agencies or organizations need any help with that, we have folks over here ready to chat with you. And appreciate so many of your business, um, done so much business with all of you. Thank you all very much. I hope you appreciate having Ron up here. He's uh, done many, many years for our country. And thank you for the nation. Thank you, Ted. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You can learn more about digital transformation and cybersecurity across government at fedscoop.com. The Commerce Department has 13 bureaus underneath its umbrella, making any modernization movement a dynamic effort for the agency's chief information officer, Andre Mendez. 
At IT Mod Talks, Mendez joined me on stage with Datadog's Steve Mickelson to discuss how organizations can take a whole-of-agency approach to modernization. You know, mo modernization is, is basically a constant journey. Uh, you know, I've been in the business for, for four decades, and we've never not been modernizing because things are changing so fast. The opportunity that we have at this particular point in time by virtue of the merging of the IT modernization with this enormous imperative for cybersecurity change uh, is to create a new environment where we are actually leveraging economies of scale across whole departments rather than get stuck in the silos that we've been stuck in the past, right? It's an opportunity because there's so much work to be done. There's also a, a bit of funding uh, in, in a quantity that has rarely been seen before. Uh, you know, between modernization funds, the cybersecurity fund, the, uh, and the, uh, the technology modernization fund, so that we can really have a sort of a revolutionary approach to this constant journey. Uh, historically, uh, this uh, at the Department of Commerce and in other departments and agencies, I'm sure, has been done in a very siloed manner uh, with the different components uh, and without a, an approach that says, we are going to do this, minimizing the number of different technology stacks that we have across the enterprise, because it is becoming absolutely impossible to manage that wide of a set of portfolios on a constant basis and ensure that the lowest common denominator is above a level that is acceptable to you. Brian, I'm curious about your approach from the outside looking in with Datadog and how you're supporting agencies like Commerce because it is so federated and there's all these requirements between modernization, cybersecurity, and so on. Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I like how Andre answered it in terms of combining modernization along with cybersecurity because you can't separate these things. I think you know, the antagonistic point of view I kind of take for this, and if you just think about who's out here in the audience, Think about the complexity needed to bring all of the things you each do individually together for something as large and complex as the Department of Commerce. And so when we think about this in terms of modernization or cybersecurity, and to us it's one conversation, what we're really thinking about is the fact that the IT systems we're building and managing, they're getting more complex at an accelerating rate. And so the real question is, what are we doing as leaders of these environments to, to, to make that less complex at Datadog, the way we think about this is, and, and frankly, I would support with a lot of what Ryan said from the IBM side, this is a commercial for observability, which is the idea that what we're really talking about is any stack, anywhere, full observability. And the way we would think about defining observability in that regard is that I, whether I'm talking about my business metrics or my infrastructure metrics, whether I'm connecting that to how my applications are performing, and when they're not performing, how I connect that to what I'm doing around logging and parsing to the specific problem. The, the real thing we're trying to do here is reduce the time to know when I have a problem and reduce the time to how I solve that problem. And it's a massive scale problem that requires, I'd say, very modern and innovative approaches to how you solve it. We've heard just about every speaker today talk about talent and, and the need for people to get this modernization done. Even when it gets done, you need people sort of working on these hard problems as the systems are modernized. So, um, But we also understand there's a war for talent right now, despite all the layoffs that are going on in the, the, the private sector and all that. Uh, you know, I'm curious, you know, there's still not a strong pipeline of talent that's being brought into the federal government, especially in the tech area. So how are you dealing with that and how are you looking to navigate that? that sort of shortage uh, to, to get the modernization work done that you need to, Andre? 
So, uh, you know, I think that we need to approach it both from a, the amount of demand that we need for skills, right, and then how we go about acquiring it. Uh, again, if we are in a siloed environment where everybody has different technology stacks, we have to have people trained in every single solution and all of those interfaces. The moment that we start, to a certain degree, standardizing, then we can leverage assets across, for example, the Department of Commerce in terms of, uh, you know, I have this idea that we want to create a band of roving people that are specialists in a particular technology that can go solving problems from bureau to bureau and not have to replicate everything. Uh, you know, by creating abstraction layers where you get rid of all of the commodity stuff that you really don't need to do, including, of course, migrations to cloud, right? You also diminish your need for talent that in the past was, was ever present, right? You needed people that were really good at administering servers. You needed people that were very good at administering email servers, uh, storage devices, uh, the network devices. The moment that you make it a priority to move everything that you can below the application layer into somebody else's uh, um, you know, uh, space and leveraging their expertise in that space, you diminish your needs. Now, in terms of the, of the pipeline, you've probably heard me before saying that we have been stealing 14s, 15s, and SESs from different agencies. I think we need to take a different approach. We need to create a situation where we're creating pipelines from technical schools, from, from universities, uh, even from high schools, where we are able to gather people that come in as GS7, GS8 with, with career ladders that we can, to a certain degree, you know, enmesh into our culture, enmesh into our mission, so that they learn how to do things the right way in terms of how we approach our entire uh, set of systems. Uh, and we can raise them through uh, their career, advancing their career, but at the same time making sure that we can leverage their expertise, which is in the form of potential rather than acquired knowledge in systems that might no longer be relevant, right? Uh, and then create a pool there that continues to move through the federal workspace throughout their career with possibilities for advancement uh, in the most advanced technologies rather than in legacy technologies, uh, and therefore create an ample supply of this. Uh, because otherwise, we're just going to be stealing from each other. We've been doing it forever. I can tell you that you know some of my best people have come from other agencies, right? Because that's the way we do it. And every so often, I lose one, right? So we got to make sure that we have a new paradigm. Uh, and, uh, and I'm very interested in pursuing that with the schools and the, uh, and the habitats where these people are being raised and can come and contribute, uh, not necessarily week one, week two, week three, but certainly over time in a much more consistent manner. Brian, thoughts on the workforce element of all of this? Yeah, you know what I wrote down in my book? I wrote down Fortran, Cobalt, mainframes. You know, these aren't the technologies that attract the modern IT worker to your, to your environment. So I think the, the reality is, as, as the government thinks about how it's going to attract the workforce, I think it gets back into the government thinking about how, what tools is it actually using. And so you know, a small commercial for what we do at Datadog, we're the leaders in the magic quadrant for application performance monitoring. We're the leaders in the Forrester wave for all this AI ops discussion that we're talking about today. And so what you have is modern applications, modern approaches, modern interfaces by taking advantage of leaders in the technology space in the world of COTS, I think the government aligns itself to the talent base that it needs to recruit into its systems. So we'll have this next panel coming up after this that's going to be a more robust conversation on workforce. But as we finalize or, or we close out this one, I'm curious, just briefly, how important is leadership amongst all of this? I know I, I, we hear it so much, but uh, while I have the two of you on stage, just briefly, 
How does leadership get modernization done? So leadership is about managing change and bringing about change. Okay, and what are we constantly in the midst of? Constant white water and constant change. So leadership is absolutely essential, but it has to be courageous leadership. It has to be informed leadership. There's no magic formula uh, that that allows you to be a great leader, but there is, you know, the hard work that's necessary in continuing looking at the latest and greatest technologies, looking at it from a holistic standpoint on how it all fits together, uh, and then selling that vision alongside the vision and the mission of the organization. If you put together a technical vision that is based on very sound technologies that everybody wants to work with, and then you put that together with a, a love for the mission that you're performing, you have a very powerful combination for incentivizing people, for energizing people, even for re-energizing people who were at one point in their life, in their career, great iconoclasts, and that by virtue of being in, you know, in, in the midst of you know, drudgery work have become dinosaurs. We can re-energize these people and re-leverage them, to make, you know, but in order to do that, we need to make sure that they have a great technical vision and that they have a great love for the mission. Brian, final thoughts, final words? I'll give you a really short version. So Andre talked about change as a function of leadership. I would talk about culture as a function of leadership. And I think one of the questions that I ask when I'll meet a CIO or any really IT worker for the first time is, what are you doing from a cultural perspective to bring your teams together? We, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and DevSecOps, I think we've been talking about DevOps for 15, DevSecOps for the last five to 10. But the real question is, what's the marriage between the people, process, and tools? So the way we think about this at Datadog, from a cult, how does our tool affect culture? What we're doing is we're bringing everyone into the same exact view. So whether you're dev, security, operations, business leadership, analyst, everyone's looking at the single source of truth. So instead of finger pointing and telling us it's each other's problems, we're looking at the problem and thinking more appropriately about how we solve it together, breaking down those silos. Final thought? Actually, that, that is an excellent point because the, one of the most fundamental changes from the way IT used to be done and the way IT is done now and will be done in the future is the fact that there cannot be any silos within IT. We used to have applications that were entirely siloed. We used to have entire systems that were entirely siloed. I remember being in rooms where you had IBM mainframes, you had Unix systems, you had client server all coexisting and all in completely different technology stacks. That no longer exists, right? And so when you're talking about a system where you know, something in networks is profoundly affected by something in the directory, is profoundly affected by your authentication, is profoundly affected by every single you know, piece of the entire technology uh, you know, stream, you need everybody to work together in a newfound way, in a holistic manner that looks as a system being your entire IT infrastructure rather than this, this system that you manage and this system that you manage. That's gone. And that has a whole set of requirements in terms of leadership because not only do you need to drive every single individual, you need to drive them to work together because it is impossible not to, it's impossible to accomplish what you want to accomplish unless everybody is in perfect sync. Well put. Let's give them, one, uh, give them a round of applause. Andre, Brian, thank you so much for your thoughts. You can learn more about Commerce's IT journey at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. 
High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again Tuesday afternoon. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.